In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. From the Gospel, quote, When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The parable of the wedding feast has much in common with the parable of the Great Supper, which is our gospel for the second Sunday after Trinity. But the parable of the wedding feast adds the element of judgment at the end. The king comes in, finds a man not properly dressed, and casts him out of the party for good. This reflects the biblical teaching that the church consists of both good and bad, both wheat and tares, that will be separated in the judgment at the end of the age. See Matthew chapter 25. The Eucharist is a foretaste of this coming wedding feast. As we celebrate the Eucharist, we all say the same words and do essentially the same things. But there is a hidden interior part of us that no one sees except for God. As we say at the beginning of the liturgy, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. In Romans chapter 2, St. Paul speaks of, quote, the day when God will judge the secrets of all people by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The speechless man was someone who it seems was in the church, but was nonetheless unprepared in heart for that day. What was his problem? What is the wedding garment that he lacked? Throughout the Bible, clothing is a significant part of the way people relate to God. After the first sin revealed their nakedness, Adam and Eve clothed themselves with with fig leaves. God confronted their sin and replaced the fig leaves with the skin of an animal, which implies the death of the animal. And it implies that the death of the animal and the resulting garment provided a covering for their sin that enabled them to be in the presence of God. The Torah gave specific instructions for the kind of clothes the priests were to wear when they were offering sacrifice in the temple. Leviticus says, quote, He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. The Old Testament clothing focused on external and ritual purity. Atonement literally means covering. It covered the sin. In the New Testament, this develops into an interior cleansing, a washing away of sin. Baptism and conversion, the essential parts of Christian initiation, are described in the New Testament as a change of clothes. For example, 
Ephesians chapter 4 says, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which according to God is created in righteousness and true holiness. St. Peter writes, quote, All of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothing symbolizes the interior virtue and holiness that we put on through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this interior transformation is manifested outwardly in the practice of good works. Revelation says, quote, He who conquers shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And this clothing is connected specifically to the heavenly wedding in Revelation chapter 19. Quote, Let us be glad and rejoice and give God the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to be clothed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. The main focus of the Christian life is to get dressed for the coming wedding by putting off our old nature through repentance and by putting on Christ through worship, prayer, and the practice of good works done in love. When this is our focus in life, we think of the world in terms of the kingdom of God. How does what I am doing and what I am experiencing move me closer to God or move me further away from God? Many people get the story backwards. They think of their faith in terms of their life in the world. How is faith making me happier or giving me more of what I want in the world? In this narrative, life moves away from a focus on repentance, faith, and growth in virtue, and towards a focus on temporal categories like happiness, comfort, or some other temporal goal. We stop getting dressed for the coming wedding, and instead we focus on getting dressed for tomorrow. Politics is among the things that threaten to draw us away from our proper focus on the kingdom of God. Politics provides a unique temptation to shift one's focus from the eternal kingdom to the temporal kingdom. And this temptation is heightened by the utopian and partisan nature of political speech. The chosen candidate becomes a messiah. The cause promises to manifest the kingdom. The opposition becomes a devil. Then we justify our angry, slanderous speech 
and our moral compromises in the service of the temporal victory. But then what? People spend a great deal of emotional energy in service to their political causes, but they typically end up having very little actual influence. They are typically talking only to people who already agree with them. There is very little conversation or dialogue with an actual adversary. And if we live in a state like California, we already know more or less what the results are going to be. There is little influence, but there is great danger and great temptation. The central proclamation of our faith is that Jesus is Lord. Politics tests our faith in God's sovereignty. Do we really believe that God is in charge, in control of the world and of our lives? Are we willing to let go and trust him? The candidates and parties try to persuade us that if we don't do what they say, everything will fall apart. But Jesus is Lord, not them. As Philippians says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The truth is that we don't really know what the future holds and what God is now doing in history. We know that God is just. We know that the judgments of history are moral judgments that he comes to judge and will come to judge finally. And we know that God is able to work in all things for good for those who love him and are called by him. We don't know whether something that seems bad now is really the beginning of something good or vice versa whether something that seems good is really the start of something bad. We live by faith and faithfulness. As Job reminded us at the evening office last week, quote, from where does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. <clears throat> God understands its way, and he knows its place. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom tells us that our real influence in the world comes from our prayer and from the love of both friend and enemy that comes from our prayer. Our real influence in the world comes from our detachment from the world. If some particular result in the world is more important to us than our preparation for the coming wedding feast, we run the risk of becoming unprepared. For many who have a lot to say now, 
will be speechless on that day. We as Christians have nothing to offer the world in this political sphere unless we can engage our politics with respect for others and with a detachment that befits those who are pilgrims in this world and ambassadors for another country. So let us express our opinions and vote our consciences. But don't let your politics unclothe you and leave you unprepared for the coming wedding feast. As St. Paul wrote to the highly patriotic Roman citizens in the Roman colony of Philippi, quote, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.